we're talking about baby Jesus. And of course, we do plan on talking about those things because they're important to the story, but the plan was to approach them in a way that maybe you hadn't considered before. You see, as Chris Douglas and I got together with Brian and planned this series, Brian pitched an idea that we thought was too good to pass up. You see, every time around this year, Christians go through a series that tells the story of Jesus' arrival, and it's usually presented in a really attractive way with no ugly parts involved, and it's usually told in a way that matches the holiday spirit, and it gives us that warm, gooey feeling inside. Brian pointed out to Chris and I that, yes, the story went perfectly as God knew it would, but there were definitely some scandalous activities that took place in order for all this to come together. Take Brian's message last week. He spoke about the lineage of our Lord and Savior. Now, you would think, if this is our Messiah, right, our Lord, the King of Kings, that he must come from some perfect, blemish-free, powerful bloodline of royalty. But what we learned, that's not true at all, because Brian spoke about the harlot Rahab and how she is an ancestor of Jesus Christ. A prostitute was used in the lineage of our perfect Savior. And sometimes we read scripture about that, and we don't acknowledge how powerful it is that God can use whoever, whoever he chooses. Amen? We read that like it's no big deal, and yet you know good and well, if you had a prostitute in your family line, you would probably blush a little every time that came up. So you see how scandalous this lineage was. Now it made sense to follow Brian's message with the birth. So that's why we're going to talk about today, and today's message was titled, The Scandalous Birth. If you found your place in Luke 1, 26 through 38, I'm going to begin reading. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and sh shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Father God, we thank you so much for giving us another day. Lord God, just to... Uh, Give us another time to get together with our brothers and sisters, to fellowship, 
to worship you, Lord God, to praise you and just elevate your name. Father God, we pray that today's message is yours, that, uh, that our hearts receive it, Lord God, that we hear it, and it takes root in our hearts, Father God, that it transforms us, that it drives us further to you. Lord God, I, I, I thank you for the, the ability to, to study and prepare and to teach, but ultimately all that was done so that I could step aside and let your word be heard. Father God, I do ask that you give me the ability to, to speak and to teach with clarity. Lord God, I just ask that this message is yours today and that you have your hand in it. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, to give this passage a little context before we begin, honestly, we have to look at the previous verses of chapter 1 discussing Mary's cousin. We read from this passage that we begin in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. But if we back up and read the beginning of this chapter, we see Mary's cousin, who is much older and should not be able to conceive at this point. Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, was visited by an angel while at the temple and was told they would have a child and were to name it John. John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from within the womb and would be completely dedicated to God. Last, John would also begin preaching a brand new message of repentance churning the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, preparing the stage for the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Upon hearing this incredible news, Zacharias responded in a way that displayed his, how unsure he was of these things. And it's at this moment the angel fully introduces himself, saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to tell you this good news. And now you will not be able to speak until these things do happen because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Gabriel in this moment was really behaving like a police officer would. When you ask him to prove their authority, they flash you the badge, and I think that's what he was doing here. He says, I stand in the presence of God, not you. And I was personally sent here to tell you this message from him, and because you reject that, you will now be made silent and will not utter a word until these things happen, and they will happen at the already predetermined time that they will according to God. We know from reading scripture that after this encounter, Zacharias comes out of the temple and the people marveled. It, it appeared that he had seen a vision inside the temple and was not able to speak a single word. So he finished this time of service at the temple and returned home. We read that it was after this time that Elizabeth did conceive, and she gave all credit to God for it. However, Scripture tells us she hid herself for five months. Why? Now, there's many thoughts on this. Maybe she didn't want the attention that this miracle would attract. Right? She wasn't able to have children, and so now the fact that she was in her old age, that was going to bring attention. Maybe she didn't want that. Maybe she didn't want to announce her birth and risk losing it. She already knows that this was a miracle. She shouldn't be having it at this age, so maybe she feared that she could lose the baby, and no one wants to go through that public display. But maybe she didn't even know who this baby was going to be. If she didn't know it now, it definitely is revealed to her later, but Scripture doesn't tell us that she knows now. Remember, Zacharias wasn't able to speak, so maybe he couldn't even explain to her about the visit from the angel and who John was going to be. We just don't know what she knew 
in that moment. But there are several things we do know. Number one, Elizabeth had in fact conceived just as the angel said she would. Number two, she hid herself for five months, meaning she didn't tell anyone about this pregnancy. Number three, she gave all credit to God, and this brought her immense joy because this meant that God looked at her, noticed her, and was gracious enough to remove her social disgrace from never being able to have a child. Think of how happy that made her. Last, number four, honestly, in my opinion, this probably just added to the praise and joy she was experiencing, but while this was happening, her husband couldn't talk to her. Life was pretty good. <laughs> this finally brings us to the passage we are looking at today. It is the sixth month of Elizabeth's conception, and again, the angel Gabriel is sent from God, but this time to Nazareth. He appears before Mary, who at this time is a virgin and is engaged to Joseph, who is of the house of David. There is your lineage of Jesus Christ being fulfilled. Born of a virgin, still part of the house of David prophecy being fulfilled. As if God coming down in the flesh to walk amongst us wasn't miraculous enough, his very birth was a miracle, and it was all planned and according to his word. If Mary and Joseph had been married and conceived a child, that wouldn't be miraculous. And it wouldn't be the Messiah because he wouldn't have been born, born of a virgin. Isaiah seventeen fourteen tells us, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Translated, God is with us. Mary was absolutely, without a doubt, untouched by man. Did you know there are critics out there who deny this very fact, that it was impossible for Jesus to be born of a virgin? No kidding. That's the definition of a miracle. That the Old Testament didn't really mean virgin, but it meant probably young girl. But if you think about that, what if I came to you today and said, God said he would give us a sign. A young girl is going to have a child. What's, what's the sign? That happens every day. That's not a sign. But it was a virgin that God used to bring in his son, and that is a sign. That is the sign in Isaiah seven fourteen. <clears throat> There's also critics from the scientific field. They choose science over God's word, so they try to discredit this miracle. They claim that it, in theory, could be possible for a human to self-produce spontaneously, that Mary had a parthenogenesis occur and was able to produce a child all on her own without God intervening. Of course, even if you were to entertain that pseudoscience theory, you must realize Mary still couldn't give birth to Jesus. She would have only been able to produce a daughter because there still would not have been the Y chromosome. You need a Y chromosome to produce a male gene, and only the male passes that on. So that theory falls apart pretty, pretty quickly. Gabriel the angel tells Mary that she would bring forth a son. A son. A male. A man. You know, I hate to break it to you, but if you're out there today trying to choose your gender, God has already predetermined it before you're even conceived. Back to our text, 
Gabriel tells Mary that she is highly favored and God is with her. Seeing an angel before her, it is understandable that Mary was troubled and afraid and wondered what could possibly be the reason for this visitation. So he comforts her by telling her not to be afraid, and then he repeats his claim that she has found favor with God and that she would conceive in the womb and bring forth a son, and his name would be Jesus. You know, just from these few verses alone, we get a couple of doctrines. One is absolutely biblical, and it is clear in Scripture, and the other is complete heresy. What I'm talking about is the doctrine of the virgin birth and the doctrine of the immaculate conception. And for those of you that don't know, you you might be thinking, well, isn't that the same thing? Absolutely not. The doctrine of the virgin birth refers to the fact that Jesus would be born of a virgin woman, which can clearly be seen and understood from the scriptures, that God would come down to walk with his creation, and he would do that by using a virgin woman to birth his only begotten son. This is the virgin birth. It's in scripture. It was prophesied, recorded. It was miraculous. The doctrine of the immaculate conception is nowhere in scripture, and it elevates Mary to the status of complete perfection. That's what immaculate means, without blemish. This doctrine is taught in Roman Catholicism, and it is completely unbiblical. According to the official statement from the Roman Catholic Church, quote, the Blessed Virgin Mary to have been, from the first instant of her conception, by a singular grace of privilege of, of Almighty God in view of the merits of Christ Jesus, the Savior of mankind, preserved free from all stain of original sin. That was Pope Pius IX, and he claimed this truth in December 1854 before it was voted on and accepted. Basically what this means is that in order for Mary to conceive a perfect, sinless being, she herself had to experience a grace from God that allowed her to be completely preserved from any sin, that she was and is completely free from any blemish of sin. She was immaculate, therefore able to conceive Jesus. This is unbiblical, and it attacks the very essence of our Savior. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned, and we are all in the need of a Savior. And even Mary acknowledges this in Luke 147, when she says, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She had sinned and rejoiced in the fact that she had a Savior. If she was sinless, she wouldn't need a Savior. And if she was sinless, but still needed a Savior, then we've got a huge problem on our hands because Christ was sinless. And who is his Savior? We all need a Savior because of sin, and that is exactly what he came for. Please do not water down what Christ did for us. Amen? Following our text, the angel tells Mary this child that she would give birth to would be great. There's an understatement. And shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. All kings or presidents or leaders the world has ever known always has a term limit, whether it's a predetermined term limit or whether they simply die out. There is always a limit 
to anyone's power. Not only that, but anyone that has ruled or ever will rule, their reign is absolutely dwarfed in comparison to that of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is to be the highest, and his kingdom will reign forever. The king of kings will reign for all eternity. Amen. Romans 14.11 tells us, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. He is king, king of all. And as Christians, I think we tend to forget that. I think we live, live as if he's only our king. He's my king. He's your king. And all those out there that reject him, curse him, refuse to follow him, he's their king as well. The only difference is they reject it and we profess it. Next, we get Mary's response. She has just been told by an angel she will conceive a child while remaining a virgin and that this child shall be the son of the highest and that God had personally saw that this would happen. She takes all of this in and she asks, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Fair question. Was she still afraid or confused? Was she worried that, man, she might fail on her end and she wanted to make sure that she knew what to do, what was asked of her? She, she reminds Gabriel that, I'm a virgin. I, you know, I haven't known a man yet, as if he didn't already know that. Either way, what, whatever she was thinking, she clearly was concerned as far as the processes about to take place. The angel gives her an answer that clears up if there's anything on her end that she needs to do, which of course there isn't. He tells her that the Holy Ghost shall come upon her and will completely overshadow her, making whatever she could possibly do on her end useless anyways. And since it was from the power of the highest that would overshadow her, then therefore that child that would be conceived from this would be the very son of God. Surely Gabriel was well aware that all this was getting pretty heavy for Mary and that she would start to feel the immense pressure that would naturally come for anyone if they were told they would raise the very son of God. So he comforts her again. And he tells her about her cousin, Elizabeth, who at this point, no one knows about the pregnancy, but he tells her about her cousin, Elizabeth, that she had also conceived a son in her old age, and is already in her sixth month of pregnancy after being declared barren. And he ends his dialogue by explaining in verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now this brings us to the end of our passage, and I think you would all agree at this point, Mary has received a lot of information and the information was of great importance, perhaps the greatest importance that she has ever heard. And with this new revelation, you would be perfectly fine in thinking that young Mary flipped out, that she panicked or worried or contemplated how to get out of this situation. That's fair. I've seen people run away from much smaller commitments, but this isn't what we find at all the most extreme opposite, in fact. After hearing all that the angel God had personally sent to tell this news, and after hearing all that this child would be, and after hearing that she would bear this child, she doesn't even skip a beat in her answer. In Luke 1.38, Mary says, Behold, 
the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed. After receiving this life-changing message from an angel, no less, Mary didn't run from it. She didn't ponder. She didn't contemplate. In fact, she didn't hesitate for a moment. Instead, she instantly said, okay, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Think about that. Just, just digest that for a second. Consider her whole situation, the, the cards she had just been dealt. She didn't run from it. She said, all right, fine. According to God's word, I'm his servant. Let's rock and roll. Maybe. I don't know. She probably didn't say that, but just fully on board immediately. Now, I do realize this was a lot of buildup to get to this part of the message, but I really feel like I had to put that last verse in full context as best that we could so that we could pull some teaching from it. I believe when we look at Mary's response to the angel in the face of all of this, we can easily pull at least three very good examples in which it would do us all good to emulate. The first example we see in her response is an example of faith. Mary displayed tremendous faith in her answer. And you see this when you look at her whole predicament. Mary was what many theologians would agree on to be probably around the age of 13. She was currently in an engagement with Joseph, and this engagement is a little bit different from what we're used to today. You see, today we're used to people getting engaged and calling it off and getting back together and calling it off and back and forth and so on and so forth. But in that day, even the engagement was a legally binding covenant. The difference between this period and the actual marriage was that this was sort of a trial period. There was no consummation until after the wedding ceremony. This instead was a, a time to sort of get things in order on both sides of the family. It was also a time in which both parties were to display complete faithfulness to one another. Mary and Joseph were legally set to be married, and in that covenant, this trial period tested the integrity of that relationship. To be found unfaithful in this trial period was to be found in the worst possible situation, and Mary suddenly found herself in just that. Now finding out that she is pregnant, and it is not, could not, be Joseph's. When people find this out, then Joseph would have every legal right to publicly deal with her and possibly have her stoned for adultery. And I don't want to dive into the character of Joseph because Christopher Douglas is going to be speaking on that next week, and honestly, I am looking forward to it. But we do know Joseph had the law on his side in this situation. Then, young, pregnant, covenant-breaking Mary, maybe in a panic, not making the best decision with this information, she, she decides to take off. Go see your cousin. She just disappears, and not for a weekend, not for a week vacation. For three whole months, she's gone. So by the time she gets back from her sudden disappearance, she would be three months pregnant, clearly showing, and would then have to explain to her fiancé that she's still a virgin, and it was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
that she only left town not, not to be unfaithful, but to see her cousin who is also pregnant, even though we full well know that should not be possible, and that Mary and Joseph are to raise this child, and oh, by the way, it'll be the Son of God. Now that is a scandalous birth. <clears throat> it wasn't, oh, <clears throat> excuse me. Or at least that's what the world, that's what it would appear to the world. But in spite of all that, in spite of how bad it looked, and what Joseph could legally do, Mary still put her faith in God. You want to know how she found favor in God? It wasn't because she was sinless and perfect. So that's impossible for all men. She found favor because she placed her faith in God. Her absolutely full, unwavering, rock-solid faith was only in her Lord God. The reason Mary found favor with God is because he is gracious. That's all that ever saved anyone. God's unearned, undeserved grace. You know, I've got news for you today. You can find favor with God as well. You don't have to be perfect or without blemish. Amen, right? But instead, all you have to do is place your full faith in God. Romans 4, 5 tells us, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. And I spoke on that some weeks ago. It's not on your work. It's faith. The second example we see in Mary's response is her commitment to being God's servant. You see, I don't think Mary was any different than us in that being a servant is easy when things are going good. But when her life was <clears throat> going to, to, as to planned and all of a sudden she was told she would conceive and nobody ran it by her to make sure it worked with her schedule, she was only 13. Just getting ready to start her new life with her future husband and it was really inconvenient because of her situation and timing. It could possibly have the worst legal ramifications. I personally wouldn't judge her if she grumbled or wrestled with this because even if she got off from the legal punishment, it still, at the very least, ruined her reputation. You know, believe it or not, there was a time when couples didn't shack up and start having kids outside of marriage. There was a time when mar the marriage covenant was taken absolutely serious, and there used to be shame if you behaved outside of that. Now, don't let that statement make you think I'm up here throwing stones because I fully confess that's how I behaved as well. I would give anything to, to go back in time and begin serving God instead of just myself for all those years. But this is the scenario our young Mary finds herself in. All of a sudden, except she wasn't guilty of it. It would only appear that way to the world. Now, this next bit that I got to say, I don't want to. I've wrestled with this. <clears throat> but I really want to paint a picture for you today. And I got to admit, I'm just uncomfortable saying it. But I have to if it's in front of brothers and sisters. It brings me no joy to say what I'm going to say and to know that it's even going to exist in your minds. I think God, he didn't choose 2019 to bring in our Savior. Because in 2019, if a young female teenager got pregnant, and it was completely against her choice, and it ruined her life plans, and it ruined her future marriage, 
and it ruined her reputation, and she didn't want to carry this baby, then she could absolutely follow the advice that the world would scream to her. The world would tell her to focus on herself, that it's her body and she shouldn't do what she doesn't want to, that if she wanted to, she could get rid of this baby and not feel an ounce of shame. And not only that, she would be, she'd be applauded for it. Could you imagine the outcome if God had done this in 2019? Could you imagine if Mary had a doctor surgically insert a tool into the back of that baby's skull and remove it piece by piece, throwing it in a trash can as if it was nothing more than a pile of garbage? <clears throat> of course, that couldn't happen, not to our Lord and Savior, because God knew exactly what he was doing when he chose Mary to have this child. She didn't scream, my body, my choice. She said, Lord, your servant. Amen. We can all learn from that. When life is hard or something happens and we feel like we don't deserve it or we don't want to deal with it, we need to remember to be God's servant. If you lost your job to someone maybe you feel didn't deserve it as much as you, be God's servant. Lost a loved one or, and you, sure, you, you don't know how to handle it, be God's servant. Your marriage, what you thought was fine, but now you, you all of a sudden find it in an adulterous situation, be God's servant. We are daily someone's servant, whether it's our boss, our spouse, or our children. And we know good and well that there's some days when we don't want to do it, but you do it anyways when some days are tougher than others. So why would our God deserve anything less? Be God's servant. Lastly, the final example we see from Mary's response is to do what is according to God's word. Again, when faced with this unexpected situation, Mary didn't reason. She didn't complain. She didn't say that this was undeserved. She said, may your word be fulfilled. If we are going to put faith in God, if we are going to be God's servant, how can we even know how to do that? How do we go about even attempting to think about it correctly? His word. Mary had revelation from an angel that was personally sent from God. Now that's pretty convenient, but we don't have that today. We have his written word. When you want to know spiritual truths, you don't go to fallible man for that, or at least I hope you don't. We go to his word. 1 Corinthians 2, 13, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teach, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Spiritual truths cannot and does not come from man's wisdom. It comes from God, and he has given us a sufficient source for just that, his written word. We need a standard for everything, how to live, worship, pray, how to love, how to serve, and on and on and on. And that standard is all found in scripture. We don't get to determine what scripture we like or what's convenient, but we can read it so that we can know all that is according to his word. Let me just close by saying, I love Mary's response so much, I think we need to take an old insult and make it 
means something different now. If someone tells you, you know the insult, hey, you're acting like a little girl. I want you to turn to them and say, yeah, the Virgin Mary. And they're going to look at you like you're crazy. It's going to be awesome. Because she displayed such great faith, showed her commitment to being a servant of God, and showed her willingness to do what is according to his word. And I got to confess, this study was, it was fun, because it was, it was different, it was interesting to look at just how scandalous this birth was. And it was. But no matter how scandalous Jesus' birth was, it was still miraculous that God would come down in the flesh and identify with us sinners and use a family tree that's full of idolatry, prostitution, and murder. He had very little to work with, and yet he still accomplished everything for us. Like Mary, have you put your faith in him? Do you want to be his servant? Do you want to follow his word? If you have not done this yet, I encourage you, do not wait. Do it today. Do it now. Find someone. We would love to pray with you. We would love to help you through that. We would love to help you act like a little girl. I'm going to make it stick. I don't care. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this birth. Father God, for coming down and walking amongst us with your fallen creation, Lord God, to just even be with us for a moment, Lord God. We thank you so much for that. And then you went, of course, to the cross for us, Father God. We, we just, there's nothing about that story that we deserve, Lord God, and you did it anyways. Father God, I pray for the, the hearts that have not yet reached out to you and placed their full faith in you. Father God, for the hearts that refuse to be your servant. Lord God, for the hearts that will not acknowledge your full written word. Lord God, I pray that you work on these hearts immediately. Transform them, Lord God. That's, that's something only that comes from you. Lord God, we love you and we thank you for all that you have done for this. Even if it appeared scandalous to the world, we know that we look like fools to them, but we praise your name to the highest. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.